It was about five years ago that I had the distinct joy, honor, and privilege of, as a very young pastor, it was my first week of finding that I was now an official pastor. And here I was. Now, it's interesting in my life, I have, if you remember the show Welcome Back, Cotter? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? John Travolta? Okay. So I'm also a teacher, and I teach at the same high school that I graduated from. But wait, it gets better. I also serve as a pastor in the church that I grew up in. So I got kind of a double Welcome Back, Cotter. They don't even have a TV show for what we get to do here in the church with kind of growing up and now serving your home church. But here we are. Now, needless to say, five years ago, we got this call that there was a person who had just moved from about three hours away to this area, and she was on hospice. She had just been put on hospice. And her pastor asked, is there someone, a pastor in your congregation, who is able, willing and able to just once a week check in on her? And now, uh, newbie that I was, this was assigned to me. But during that time, it was interesting. I was dealing with a lot of feelings of, what should I do? Feeling maybe, maybe saying feeling less than is the wrong word, but feeling, and we've probably experienced this, moments where we feel unequipped like we're imposters, like we're in a situation, we're in a place, and we have a job to do, but what are our qualifications? I'm, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not able to do it. Yet, that day, as I walked in to Newfield House, and I opened the door, and I looked, and there was the reception, and they welcomed me. They said, oh, you are her pastor. She's so excited to, and I'm like, great, she's so excited to have me, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm literally going to walk in, and uh, if she sits and says, like, so why did God have me um, go through the sickness? I don't have an answer to that. And if she says, well, so why has all my life culminated in this? I don't have answers for this. I don't have these deep theological and life and death answers. I'm just me. I'm just a little guy. And so now they check me in. And now I get a name tag. Oh, great. So now I'm really official. It says Pastor David on it. And I'm sitting there being like, Ugh. I was just trying to kind of be incognito and sweet. And here I am now officially walking in, and I get closer to the room, and now, of course, you can't make this up, it's the last door all the way on the left, right? So I have to go all the way down the hallway. So I'm walking all the way down, and there's room, and no, it's not this one, all the way down, and finally get to the door. And as I'm opening the door, I have this realization. I didn't at that point have some sort of theological training or background, I didn't have all the answers. I didn't have all the... I, I couldn't walk in with, with every sort of, this is why you're here, and I'm just going to make it so much better for you, and here you go. I also didn't have a medical background. I didn't have a psychological training. I, I didn't have any skill set, except I had one. I like props. That day I learned that I can always give a gift. I can always give the gift of listening. And now, when I say the gift of listening, I don't mean that I walk in and say, hi, I'm here to listen to you, and then I started talking. I mean, actually, the only thing I realized in that moment I was qualified to do was be a loving, sweet Christian guy who cared, who listened for about an hour, asked questions. I didn't just sit there like this. I didn't do that. I, I, I was smiling, and I was actively listening. Oh, I'm hearing you say this, okay. Um, Tell me about growing up in New England. Oh, what was that like? And listening and being active. And I realized in that moment, that is not only the only gift that I could give, it's the only gift that I needed to give. And for eight or nine months, every single week, 
I learned to give the gift of listening. And not only was it transformative for the end of this person's life, it was also transformative for me because I realized that as I'm trying to share my faith, as I'm trying to make a difference in the world, I don't need to come in with all the knowledge and all the answers. I need to come in with a willingness to listen. And so as we're looking at this framework, we're in week two of a five-week series called Bless. It's really about demystifying that scary idea of sharing our faith, of evangelism. So you may have the experience like me where you're like, wow, I'm a nice Christian person. I care about people. I pray with my family. I read the Bible. Um, I'm involved in church. But the idea of talking to people in my community about Jesus is terrifying. Can anybody? Okay. So here's the good news. We have this framework, the not developed by us, but we're using this framework. And what I love about this framework is it's a very biblical framework. It's five things. We're going to start with praying. So I live on five miles Standish Ave. Next to me, there's a house. On the other side, there's a house. Now, because I'm the parent of a toddler, not only do I know the people that live at their um, houses, I also know the names of the dogs, more importantly, at the houses. So we have Duke's house, Duke the dog, and Finn's house, okay? So because, of course, in our night-night prayers, little Ruby Grace, every night has to pray for Finn the doggy and also for Duke the doggy. But, so we start by praying for our neighbors, for people in our community. Then from there... We don't now share our faith, now we listen. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at one of the, the great stories of listening, what I actually would say is a master class in how to listen. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem in Mark's gospel, where he's going to ultimately give up his life. And on the road, on the way, he's going through this insignificant town, Jericho, and there's this person who feels totally unheard, who's just on the margins, not only of the road, but of society, and this guy named Bartimaeus, and he does not feel heard. And Jesus gives the gift of listening, and it makes all the difference. And I invite us to look at the story. We're going to go verse by verse, line by line, and we're going to see that literally we don't need to just start with this pressure of, I need all the answers before I can say anything. I need to know more knowledge before I can share my faith. No, we have to listen. We have to slow down. We have to give that gift of listening. And I mentioned that I'm also a teacher. Something that I use every single day in my educational practice is this tool, and I'll show you in a second, but this tool shows us that listening is a basic human need. People need to be heard. People need to be listened to. I want to throw up this graphic. If you're familiar with this, wonderful. I'm not going to give a big, long thing. I know that we have some very learned people in this congregation, so you may know way more about Maslow's hierarchy of needs than me. It's one of those things that a lot of times we encounter. We encounter it in freshman psychology, exactly, and then we forget about it. In my special ed practice, especially in the uh, post-pandemic, what I've learned is the most important thing I can often offer is just being someone who's caring and kind and offers this belonging. Because literally what this shows us is there are certain needs that we have that the less we have them, the more we're motivated by them. The less we have food, the more we need food and want it, and then we're motivated by it. The, the more we are not listened to and not heard, and you'll see this as we go through the text today, the more we want to be heard. And of course, if we can't be heard by Christians, we'll, we'll look for other people to hear us. If we can't 
be heard by our family, we'll go somewhere else. If we can't be heard by our teachers, and that's why it's so powerful in my educational practice, if, I, if my student isn't going to feel heard by me, they're going to look to other mentor figures, and so we don't want to pass up that opportunity to give the gift of listening. In this text, we're going to see that a blind man is shouting on the margins of society, and all he needs to be able to, to walk forward is to be heard. Because people don't feel heard. And that was true in the time of Artemis. That's true now. People are living in our society, and they're just desperately wanting to be heard. They're wanting to be reminded that someone, anyone, cares. We're going to go line by line, but this is in Mark chapter 10, verses 46. We'll start there. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it. We're going to throw the words up on the screen. We're going to talk through line by line. So it starts with this. It says, Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. Now this was pretty standard at this point, especially in Jesus' ministry. He was a big deal. And anytime Jesus did something, people wanted to see what he was doing next. So if he's walking through a city or leaving a city, they're like, oh, Jesus is going to do something good. Let's see what happens. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Let's keep going. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So let's be clear. You have a guy on the sidelines of society. He is shouting. He is not heard. How do we know he's not heard? The last, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to people here. I talk to people in my neighborhood. I talk to people at school, in various places. The last I checked, the majority of people don't feel like they have to shout to be heard. He was at the point in his life where he felt so unheard that he felt like he's reduced to shouting. He is someone that he just desperately, desperately wants to be heard. And remember, I mentioned that certain needs, the less we have the, of them, the more we are motivated by them. He was motivated to be heard. He desperately, desperately, desperately. Now, I want to make that real, and I'm going to involve all of us. Listening is a need that the less we have of it, the more we want it. There's some other ones, too, like food and shelter and breathing. Now, it's funny with breathing. I've always heard that you don't notice that you're breathing in your breath until someone points it out. So congratulations, you're now going to notice for a while. Can everybody notice we're breathing for a second? Take a moment. Just like, okay, we're all breathing. Now, I want you to join in with a little challenge. I'm not very good at this game, so you won't have to wait long. We're going to try to hold our breath as long as possible. You ready? I want to show you that the longer you don't have air, the more you're motivated by it. Watch this. Ready? Okay, now maybe you made it longer than me. That's because I'm not good at that game. Here's the point I'm making. That next breath we take, now we're so much more motivated to get there. That is what it's like for someone who doesn't feel heard, and finally you think you have this opportunity to be heard. When he's on the sidelines and he's shouting, Jesus, son of David, have, have, have mercy on me, he just desperately wants to be heard. It's like when we haven't had that breath and now we're gasping, we're like, <gasps> okay, all right. Now... If Christians are not willing 
to be available for the people who are unheard in our community, the thing is, those people are still going to look for places to be heard. If my children can't feel heard by me, they're going to look outside my family to be heard. If my students, I've mentioned this, but I'm going to say it again because it's really important. If my students can't be heard by their teacher, they're going to look somewhere else. If, if people in our congregation can't be heard by your church leaders and your pastors, you're going to look somewhere else to be heard. It is a basic human need, and it isn't any better evidence than the new Batman movie. Who's seen the new Batman movie? Show of hands. We had a service that I was the only one, and I felt like a nerd, but new Batman movie, okay? I know that it's very divided opinions. There's the people who love it, and then there's the people who don't love it. Now, a lot of my friends right now say, oh, that new Batman movie basically isn't a Batman movie, and it's, okay, we're going to ignore that. Let me tell you why this movie is really helpful to think of. There's a reimagining of the character, the Riddler. If you ever remember the old, the Riddler, the Riddler was always classically this silly, whether in the 90s, Jim Carrey, or earlier in the Adam West show, he was always kind of this silly guy who left clues, and it was funny, and it was a shtick, and whatever. Now, they've reimagined him into someone who never was heard in his life, describes growing up as an orphan and being shoved into a room with 30 other children, and just being totally abandoned and, and not, not ever felt like he mattered until finally he starts having this falling of other unheard people online. And now in this Batman movie, he starts doing these provocative and evil acts in Gotham City where he ha kills different people and does these different things, and it's for this following online, and now he's got these people who love him, and he's got these people he's finally heard, but the problem is he's not heard by his teachers or his pastors or parents or community figures He's heard by these other people online. And the reason this is a powerful illustration is it's a little more maybe than reality, but maybe not. The reality is, is that people want to be heard, and if they're not heard by us, they're going to look for places to be heard. Don't think that if I'm unwilling to listen to someone who's just an unheard person, don't think that that goes away. Don't think that if there's a teenager in your life who just feels totally misunderstood, that they're not going to be looking for other places to be misunderstood. Now, that doesn't mean compromise on our core values. That means listen. That means give the gift of listening and slow down. Because maybe we have seen the new Batman movie, maybe we haven't, but many of us are familiar with Plymouth's premier news source, All Things Plymouth. Is anyone familiar with this? Okay, it's, it's, uh, it's alternatively called The Cesspool of Plymouth. And the challenge with it, I'm not really going to weigh in if it's good or bad, because there are certain things that just exist, right? So here's what I've noticed with All Things Plymouth or any sort of thing on social media like All Things Plymouth. There's keyboard warriors or trolls, right, that are trying to be heard. The reality is, is if we as people living in Plymouth do a better job of trying to hear the unheard people, maybe a few of them won't feel the need to write crazy things on all things Plymouth. It doesn't mean it's our job to shut it down. It doesn't even mean it's our job to take a stand against all things Plymouth. Again, it is what it is. My point is the unheard people exist directly in our community and they want to be heard. They want to be listened to. But the problem is, maybe not the problem, the opportunity or the reality is talking is not a substitute for listening. You could say, David, uh, of course, that... Why would talking be a substitute for listening? Of course, you're, that's, 
Doesn't even make sense that it would be. Okay, let's look at our actions. Oftentimes, I'll talk about me, but maybe this applies to you too. We have the best of intentions when we're like, you know, there's a person who just needs to be heard. So I'm going to get together with them, and it's going to be great because they need to be heard, and I have all this wisdom. I have all this knowledge. I've had some ups and downs in my life, and they can really learn from me. So this person, I'm just going to sit them down, and I'm going to be their life coach. It's going to be great, and they're going to benefit so much from talking with me, it's going to change their life. What's the problem? Is that listening? That is not listening. Talking is not a substitute for listening. If it was effective, then this wouldn't happen in the text. Let's look right at verse 48. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. Oh, so that, that solved everything, right? They yelled, be quiet, and he was quiet, right? And Bartimaeus just minded his own business and felt heard and felt positive, right? No, let's keep going. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, if shouting be quiet solved all the problems, then we would just be, or, or maybe not shouting, but going shh, then we'd have librarians everywhere, right? We'd be a world filled with, li- right? So the reality is, is that's not effective. Just talking over someone saying, shh, be quiet. Let's talk about a toddler for a second. Anybody know any toddlers? If you don't, you're missing out. Uh, so I love my toddler. She's wonderful. But um, she's, she's wonderful, magical, but she's also a toddler. So let's just be honest. Toddlers have, I'm going to talk about my daughter, so I'm going to use some education speak for a moment, then talk about my daughter. So toddlers have, are learning to enhance their expressive vocabulary. That means what they're able to say. They have a lot of receptive vocabulary. If you say the word catastrophe, I think Ruby knows what you're talking about. This is a catastrophe. Um, But the reality is that she has a hard time articulating herself. She has a hard time making it clear. So what often happens if you know a toddler is when a toddler has a hard time getting all the right words, what do they do? They start yelling. And they don't start yelling just like at appropriate times. It's like in the middle of the prayer at dinner or in the backseat of the car when we're just trying to drive two miles down the road, or et cetera, right? So what I have learned with my toddler, and I'm not going to say I get all of parenting right because I don't, but something I, I feel that I do pretty well is when she's getting all upset, I've learned not to try to talk over her. Because if you talk over a two-year-old, what's she going to do? She's going to yell louder, right? And it's going to turn more of... Two-year-olds can do this kind of like hoarse, yelling, um, shrill thing that doesn't even seem like it's physically possible and like all the sounds coming out at once, you're like, I'm not sure what this is, but here we are and it's getting louder. Um, Apparently also, one-year-olds, right around the time you were about to turn 14 months, you learn how to do this too. But I digress. So you've got both of them going. And so if I would be to sit and try to shout them down, I'm just going to have everyone in my house yelling. So instead, say, Ruby, say help, and then I'll wait. And then she'll slow down. She'll say, help. And I'll say, what can I help you with? And then she'll try to articulate. Maybe she'll still be really frustrated, but we'll work from there. And I'll say, I love you. I care about you. I want to hear you. What are you saying? And my job at that point is simply to lower the temperature and calm things down so she can better be heard. She can express herself. And that literally is what we're talking about with Bartimaeus. He just, he didn't need more people to go, shh. 
He didn't more, need more people to talk over him. He just wanted to be heard. And that brings me back to something that I heard when I was younger that has always been formative in my life. I became a teacher, and this, when I heard this, is one of the reasons why I eventually became a teacher. It was so formative, and so it just stuck with me in my brain. Following, unfortunately, late 90s in schools, we began a series of, and I know these weren't the first, but it really became mainstream, that we had school shootings. And Columbine was the first really big one that was on our collective awareness. And it was awful and tragic. And afterwards, there was a documentary made. And they were kind of talking about, you know, why did this happen? Of course, in our media and public discourse, we never just calmly ask questions, do we? We don't say, okay, let's slow down and let's say, let's ask what the root causes of this were. No, instead, they started blaming. And do you remember what they blamed for primarily more than anything else for Columbine? Shock rock. Marilyn Manson, rock music, was blamed as the thing, well, of course they shot up a school. They were listening to Marilyn Manson. I mean, that's what happens. So, which is, I won't go too into depth on that because I want to I talk about something specific. So in this documentary now, the filmmaker decides to approach Marilyn Manson and ask him this question. If you had a chance to sit down with the school shooters before it happened, what would you say to them? And Marilyn Manson said this, I wouldn't say anything to them. I would have listened, and that's what no adults in their lives were willing to do. Now, if Marilyn Manson can get it right, why can't we? Why can't the church? Why can't Christians? We can. The reality is, talking is not a substitute for listening. Some people just need to be heard. And from that moment, I started realizing, you know, one of the things I can do in my life is I can be someone who listens. I can be someone who listens to unpopular opinions and ideas. It doesn't mean I'll agree with you. It doesn't mean when a kid is sitting in my classroom and saying something really ridiculous that I'm going to be like, oh, you're so right. No, because that's not listening. If I say, shh, I'm not listening, and if I say, oh, you're so right or you're so wrong, I'm not listening. There's a time to show where our position is but we have to start by listening and saying, I care about you. Be quiet. Didn't do anything more than simply make Barnabas shout louder. And listening is the gift, the solution. Listening is the way forward. Because listening leads to healing. I want to look through this, this last part of the text. You're going to see that Bartimaeus now has been in society, he's been completely unheard, and he's been completely marginalized and he's completely lost, and he simply desperately wants to be heard. And watch what happens. You're just, it, we're going to be amazed at the transformation that's going to start once he's listened to. This is verse 49 here, right in the text. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Now, I want us to notice this, because... I had you do the silly breathing example to see what it was like to just have that opportunity to jump to the next breath. Look what he does. Bartimaeus throws aside everything. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. People are available to be listened to. I have this phrase that I use. Um, often where I'll say, oh, I'm not necessarily available for that, or I'm available for that. He's available to be listened to. The people who are unheard, unlistened to in our society are available 
to be listened to. Now, that doesn't mean that we listen to them on all things Plymouth by going back and forth with them because that's not listening, right? But they're available to just say, hey, I care about you. Bring him to me. Because here's what now happens. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Now, I underline this. The reason I underline my rabbi is Bartimaeus, in about a split second, goes from a totally marginalized person feeling totally lost, totally like he doesn't matter, totally like no one will hear. Do you see immediately, as soon as someone is willing to listen to him, and we'll stay on this last slide for a second, as soon as, as, soon as someone is willing to listen to him, he calls him my rabbi. Bartimaeus is available to follow Jesus. In our lives, the people who are lost and marginalized are available if we listen to them, if we're willing to stop and slow down and really listen, and we show them that we live a different way, you will be shocked at how many people are willing to eventually say, Jesus is my rabbi. We're willing to just say, wow, these people are living different. Listening is so different because he said, I want to see. The unheard, the lost people in our society want to be heard. They want to see. They want to have the way forward. It's not like Bartimaeus enjoys being the person on the sidelines just feeling unheard and lost. It's not like the out-of-control child in the classroom enjoys being the out-of-control child. It's not like the person in our family who's just in and out of substance abuse and in and out of jail, it's not like they enjoy that. People who are lost and unheard, it's not that they want to be doing that. It's that they want to see, they want to be heard. They have that desperate need and they're looking maybe in the wrong places. And so we have that opportunity to give the gift of listening and see that it leads to healing. Because look what happens after this. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, healing happened. The man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Immediately, just because he was listened to, there was a change. Now, in our lives, we may have an opportunity to listen to someone, and we may immediately, there are times that I've seen in my life that I listen to someone, or I've seen someone else listen to, and there's immediate, a small change. That can happen. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's more like when I described at the very beginning, where I said I met with someone for multiple months, and over time she felt heard. That's often more like it. Maybe it won't be that us listening to them leads to the change. Maybe God's just working in that person's life and we're just planting seeds, but it doesn't matter because the gift of listening leads to the healing. So five years after that initial experience that I talked about of visiting the person on hospice, this past week I had the same call. And five years had passed, and... I've now had some opportunities to practice active, empathetic listening. And so this time, when I once again got the call for someone I had never met, who was on hospice, there was nothing I can do other than listen. Now this time, I was a little more equipped and prepared, and I knew my job to was walk in and to be kind and to slow down and to listen. And so often, you know, one of the things we want to do is we want to jump to, and it seems like it's such a good idea to do this, and, it's, and it seems like it's from such a good place. We start with the, we see someone, and we immediately want to fix it, right? Do I have any fixers here? Does anybody like fixing? Okay, so maybe this is your experience. So you walk in, and you're like, hey, hey, how can I help? What can I do? What can I do right now? 
The problem is we haven't earned it at that point. Without listening, most times that person says, oh, nothing. And then we feel off the hook. Then we feel like, oh, good, I listened. And they don't actually need anything. So I can just go back to all the rest of my life. And life is good. Life is positive. Not an issue. No, no. They need something. There's still a person who needs to be heard, and I just blew it. I just gave up the opportunity, and instead of listening to them, I just made it about me feeling like I needed to fix something, and I wasn't able to earn it. I wasn't willing to slow down. The listening leads to healing. You know, a friend of mine recently said something that really impacted me, and it was really powerful. He said something along the lines of this, and he's someone who works in the medical field, and he mentioned to me, and it validated something that I've been feeling for years um, with working with teenagers and working with people in the church. And I realized he said this. He said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said something along the lines of, you know, all we can really do is listen and, and be a moral compass for people. And I was like, I was sitting there and I was just like blown away. And I was like, yes, that's what I've been feeling. The reality is, yes, I don't need to sit and tell someone off if I listen and they know where I stand and, and they know that I'm David with my values and my beliefs and my faith and I don't, I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to walk in and now hit them over the head theologically and say, well, John Wesley would say in this situation that you need to do this and that. That's not helpful. No, just listening and providing that moral compass is so powerful and that's what we see with this act of listening with Jesus and Bartimaeus. And of course, that makes me think of one last thing. It makes me think of hamburgers. So I had a time in my life where I felt totally unheard and totally unlistened to. And I had lots and lots of Christian friends. I was in college, and I desperately wanted to be listened to and heard. Desperately. So I got together with one Christian friend, and I was all excited because I thought this person was going to listen to me, and it would be good, and, and we'd be able to talk, and I'd be able to get things off my chest, and we could start moving forward. And I was talked to, and that person just like had all their opinions, and so that wasn't good. So then I, then I tried talking to another friend, and I was like, okay, at the end of a service, and I went and I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And once again, I got this like little mini sermonette preached at me. I did this a few times, and then I realized like, okay, these people aren't going to listen to me. But then right around that same time, a friend of mine named Dan um, knew that I was struggling, and he wasn't necessarily a professing Christian, and he wasn't necessarily someone who had all the answers, but he said, hey, I want to I take you out to Five Guys. I want to buy you a hamburger. And I refer to this as a hamburger summit. We went to Five Guys, and for about two hours, he just listened to me. And it's easy to listen when you're eating a hamburger, because think about eating a hamburger, you've got a mouthful of hamburger and cheese, and at Five Guys, they have free peanuts, and they have the French fries, and he just sat and kind of chowed down on his hamburger, and I had one too, but I, I don't think I really touched it that day. And I felt heard and listened to. And it led to a small amount of healing in my life. What he found out at the end of that is that I really was in a situation where I had burned some bridges with my Christian friends. I wasn't going to be moving in to the spiritual growth house at this point. And now I didn't know where I was living next year. And he said, hey, I'm looking for a roommate. Uh, would you be interested in maybe living with John and I next year? And it was a profound moment where I felt heard and I felt like I mattered. And the Hamburger Summit became this thing, this before and after moment in my life where I was like, wow, someone cares. But then, rather than taking that moment and letting that just end, 
I've tried to learn from that. I've tried to say, okay, the Hamburger Summit is a powerful tool. So in the 10 or 12 years since, I've tried to any time there's a young high school or college age guy who's just really struggling and says, hey, I just need to be heard, I'll take him out to, to a hamburger place and we'll sit down and we'll have a hamburger summit. And I'll just sit and listen and I say, I care. And maybe at the end I say, okay, I've heard a lot of this. Would you be interested in kind of, kind of talking about a path forward? Interestingly, at the end of every hamburger summit, once I've listened for that hour or so, they always say yes and they're always, I've earned the ability to speak into their life. And so what I'm going to ask each of us, maybe it's a hamburger summit this week, but there is someone in our lives who needs the gift of listening. There is someone who is feeling marginalized and unheard. Maybe it's someone in our family, maybe it's someone in our workplace, maybe it's someone in our neighborhood. This is not a person we need to go and try to fix their life. It's not a person we need to go preach a little mini sermon at. You don't need to take an hour after this message and write down a sermon of your own and now preach it to them, I'm inviting you to find someone this week and listen to them and get together and not get together with an agenda, but just to slow down and say, hey, I care about you. What's going on? And if it is a hamburger summit, I think five guys will thank our church at the end of the week because we'll have just like, it's right down the street, right? So the reality is they'll probably give uh, Pastor Stan a gift card and say, wow, you're the man, Pastor Stan. You sent all these Christians uh, to listen to all these people and no longer all the conversation will take place on All Things Plymouth. It'll be the Five Guys Hamburger Shop. But whether you do a hamburger summit or not, I invite you, let's listen to people this week. But let's, let's not just do that thing where we say, okay, yeah, I'm going to listen to people and then don't. Right now, take a second. I want you to think. There's probably someone that you know who is not listened to in your life. I want you to jot that person's name down in your phone or write it down or at least put it in your brain and think about who that person is and say, okay, I'm going to find time to listen to that person this week. I'm going to give the gift of listening. And then do it. And then we'll be shocked when we think of sharing our faith. We don't need to then have all the answers. We don't need to deliver a sermon at people. We simply need to start by giving that gift of listening and then see at the healing that God's going to bring from that. Maybe there will be something small. Maybe there is something we can ask, hey, what can I do at the end of that conversation? But let's earn it. Let's listen and let's really be open to what God is doing in our lives and that person's life. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the gift of listening. We see that in this master class of listening, Bartimaeus goes from being unheard to following Jesus down the road. Thank you for the power of listening. Thank you for the power of simply being able to slow down and hear people around us. For those of us struggling with listening today, we ask that you would give us the courage to slow down, the courage to care, the courage to set aside a little bit of time and to hear someone who's unheard. We know that every person in our community matters to you. Whether they have views we agree with or disagree with, that's not the point. They are beloved, they are chosen, they are important, and thank you for putting that difficult or unheard person in my life, in each of our lives. We know you are working in our community. We know you are working in our hearts. We know you work through listening and give us the courage today to give that gift of listening and to really experience the love of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.